Um, so what I want to do is talk about a similar topic, but from quite a different perspective. Um, so this was some research that was um, funded by the Quality Assurance Agency, um, done um, last year, so between um, December 2011 and November um, 12, 13. Um, so we just wrapped it up. And what this did was interview um, students about their expectations and perceptions of higher education. Um, and obviously, student voice came up in really interesting ways. So it's, what I think will be interesting is kind of contrast this talking with people who are in student union roles with students who, so, some were in student union roles and some were not, um, and um, provide an interesting contrast um, with some of the findings that we discussed earlier and also picks up some of the points that were made in the discussion. Um, so one of the aspects I wanted to talk about in terms of student engagement, um, which is sort of how I'm framing a lot of this, is um, per the QAA, this is how student engagement um, is defined within the UK as far as the quality code is concerned. Um, I think it's quite a tricky topic. A lot of students in this research project talked about engagement, engaging, being involved. Um, but I think there's a challenge because particularly with the term student engagement, there's not really a defined um, way it's used across the sector. It means different things to different people. Um, but this is how the QA sort of instituted it. Um, and so all institutions do have to respond to this in some capacity. So not only do student unions exist um, in the kind of form they do, they, there is also kind of representative roles embedded into how universities are quality assured, um, which I think is quite interesting because it does kind of create this sense that university, especially like senior management, can't just kind of dismiss students anymore. They do have to take account and be able to indicate the processes to which they account for students within decision making. Um, this can obviously be either a complete tick box exercise of sticking a student in a boardroom and not really listening to them, or a real kind of deep partnership and engagement. Um, it doesn't, that's not necessarily specified, but some nod there. But there is also um, a slightly different definition, and this comes out of a lot of research that's been done in the US. Um, some of you might have heard of the National Survey of Student Engagement. Some of your institutions might have participate, participated in the UK's the engagement survey pilot that's happening in the UK. Um, and this takes much more of an individual view of engagement. So whereas the QAA, it's a bit more of a representational role. Student voice, students' voices need to be represented in decision-making. This takes much more of a, every student needs to be engaged with their own learning. Um, and so it takes kind of a different frame. But I actually don't see these as oppositional lenses to student engagement, but kind of um, two different ways to consider it, and then they do overlap. Um, so kind of keeping these in mind, I think these two frames um, emerged in the data um, that I collected. So this was, um, again, funded by the QA, looking at how student per students perceived their student experience. Initially, the project was sort of defined as how did students understand the quality code. Um, and I actually, since the quality code was quite new, I thought that might be a bit pedantic. Um, and so <laughs> um, I kind of argued with the QA and they accepted that. I said, maybe it's better to ask about the student experience more generally and more to make sure are the issues that institutions are being held accountable for are actually what matter to students. Um, and they agreed with that, so that's how we proceeded with the project. I think it made it a lot more interesting. Um, so what we did was um, used a methodology called concept map mediated interviews. Um, so I'll be showing you some of the concept maps. Um, I think they're really useful because they allowed students when we interviewed them to kind of frame the student experience literally like in their own hand, um, in their own way. So what you'll be able to see is some of how they interpreted their student experience, not just um, my analysis of it. But we interviewed over 150 students um, across a range of institutional types and regions across the UK. 
um, and I think got quite a good mix. And I think um, it shows that there's there's a huge diversity of um, issues across the student experience in the UK that come up in quite different ways at different kinds of institutions. Um, so we did a grounded theory analysis of the data, which just kind of bubbled up all the issues that um, came out for students from the project. And then we also analyzed the concept maps and see how they compared and contrasted. Um, and I'll be talking about um, kind of just one lens of the study. So the findings we grouped, there's, there'll be a link to the report um, at the end of the presentation, and you can see it all. Um, this is how we kind of structure the report. And in terms of ideology, that was sort of this emerging theme of the consumerist ethos of students. But what we saw was that was kind of not meaning students as customers, but it was students' kind of expectations for how they experienced their institution. Um, but what I'm going to talk about is one strand within the report that was kind of that we termed students as stakeholders, sort of how students saw themselves positioned in, um, and just talk about that today. Um, so in terms of this individual level engagement, um, what we saw was most students had a concern for their experience that was pretty much dominated at the course level. Um, when students spoke about staff, they almost exclusively referred to the staff who taught them on their course. Um, so no offense to anyone who might be in senior positions, but you know there were no references to provost, chancellors, deans, principals. There was maybe one passing comment about a head of department. But for most students, when they talk about staff, they mean the staff that teach them. So it was quite a a change for how people often view institutions as these quite kind of pyramid top, you know, these, the senior decision making that for most students they wouldn't, that, that had nothing to do with their student experience. Um, and for a lot of students they had more of a general sense of a partnership of aims rather than means in how they approach their experience. As far as kind of wanting shared goals but not necessarily wanting to act in the same way as what they saw the institutions role in in their student experience. Um, and I think we see that um, in, this is a map where it's quite dominated um, about the kind of course level. Across the top there's a bit of information about kind of working across with other disciplines. But for this student the kind of bit that's at the very center is like the pharmacy society. So it's kind of my experience and my course is what dominates what I'm doing. Um, and I think what was really interesting, and this varies across institutions, um, maybe I can do a poll with you guys later, but at a lot of institutions, societies are not part of the student union. Um, and there's a number of reasons for this. Sometimes it's funding, um, as far as how much money students can get and their relationship with um, employers. So a lot of students, while they might be quite engaged within societies or clubs within their discipline, that didn't necessarily mean they were engaged with the wider student union activities. Um, and then sometimes they also had whole kind of representative structures within their societies that, again, might be independent from the student union structure. Um, and so that meant for some people, while they could have quite a gauge experience, it was quite localized. Um, and then it kind of meant the wider institutional issues weren't really something they had any concern about if they lived largely within their um, disciplinary society. Um, and what we also see at the bottom, I think this student kind of pointed out quite a functional um, use of the representative system. Um, kind of getting this notion of, well, student reps, they can kind of help you with problems like cold lecture theaters. Um, and we got quite a lot of that, of student unions um, having roles about um, getting ATMs on campus, fixing lifts, um, and I thought that was quite interesting. But I think one thing that emerges in students kind of thinking this way about the student union is that while students at a high level might push for things like a green agenda, 
um, which a lot of students might get behind environmental concerns, what a consequence at many institutions is things like cold lecture theaters. Because how do you become green? Well, you turn the heat off. You know, that's how you meet your green targets <laughs> and save money. Um, so while some students might campaign in one way for like a green agenda, they might not necessarily see the consequences of those decisions. Um, and this also came out with um, the free Wednesdays, you know, um, afternoons free, where a lot of students almost in the same breath would say, that's amazing, and complain about timetabling. And when it was explained to them, well, you argued to get one-tenth of the timetable taken away, so everything else has to be condensed. They were like, well, it never was phrased like that to us. So I think sometimes there's this difficulty where students might want some things in one level, but not really understand the consequences of those decisions when they're campaigning. And this is one of the challenges when students aren't kind of fully part of the representative system. And they might kind of push in one end, but not the other. And what I think really comes out from, um, from how students viewed their experience was this wanting a highly personalized experience. Um, and this came through quite strongly, particularly in terms of students' curricular experience, wanting quite a tailored education, including being able to choose modules, choose assessment styles, lots of students wanting to do combined degrees, um, and what we also see next to that is students wanting more tutorial time. Um, and so we've been hearing a lot about sort of contact hours and contact time and students wanting more of that. But what we found were students wanted more tutorial time. They didn't want more contact time if that meant more lecture time. They wanted more of that time where they could engage as individuals with the staff on their course and the other students on their course. Um, but one of the challenges um, of some of this personalization is it's not necessarily how universities are set up very well. So about a fifth to a sixth of the students in our study were in some form of joint degrees students or combined honor students. And every single one of them had problems with the organization and management of their course. Um, and this was often because institutions structure those experiences for students within one discipline. And when students suddenly start crossing, they tended to have really bad experiences. Um, often lectures timetabled at the same time, sort of no one taking care of them. So this is a challenge of when institutions can sometimes superficially try and allow students, sure, you can do French and law, go ahead. But then they don't really back that up in like the back office land of how are they going to facilitate that from happening. And for some students, it was all right. They, they had a home discipline, say maybe sociology, and they learned a bit about another discipline. But for some students, they ended up falling between the cracks of both. Um, and kind of not actually having a home at the institution and having consequently quite a negative experience. Um, which certainly highlights the importance of community for students. So when they kind of talked, they had this quite individual view of how they wanted to engage, but then <coughs> how they wanted to experience it was through this sense of community. And this was largely through extracurricular activities. Um, but this, of course, was divided quite strongly between students who lived at home and students who... Um, moved away from home, sort of lived in some sense on campus or near campus. And there were kind of, it was almost two tales that were quite different. And I think what's, what's something that's interesting is there's sort of not a common term for some of this in the UK. In the US, there's this lovely term called commuter students. They commute. And you'll have commuter student lounges with like coffee and tea and information about parking and all the things that student, you know, commuter students would care about. But in the UK, they're almost kind of a hidden group of students. Like, oh, you live at home, that's just kind of your choice. We're not really going to deal with that. Here's all the activities you may or may not want to engage with. Um, but some institutions actually did quite a good job of, I think particularly if that was for most of their students, kind of structuring the day around those students and their experiences. Um, some institutions would kind of bunch all the teaching into one or two days, so then students didn't have to come in on other days. Or others would kind of do teaching in the morning 
maybe mid-afternoon to kind of force students to have some hours of interaction in between the day um, versus other institutions that just timetabled by convenience and kind of left students to their own devices. Um, and there was also a sense of to what degree were there facilities that supported students in this capacity? Were there comfortable places for them to be and to stay and to go in between or not? Um, and I think how we see this kind of the role of extracurriculars coming up. For some students, it was a huge part of their student experience. Um, what we have here is a student who has their experience. The degree is this kind of like bit up there. And then they have a whole world that's the social stuff, literally, um, and a whole bit of the other stuff related to their degree. Um, but for a lot of students, they're kind of that kind of academic bit of their experience is only a small part of how they conceptualize their student experience. Um, but a lot of students were quite articulate in how they saw their co-curricular experience supporting their sort of social development um, and their academic development, that all kind of being part of their experience altogether. Um, and I think some institutions kind of had a sense of, well, we're here to worry about the degree and everything else is sort of someone else's concern, versus that's certainly not how students saw it. They saw it as a much more holistic experience. Um, and I think that's one... Um, that when it was quite divided, it could sort of hurt um, how students framed this sense of belonging. So this is what kind of seemed to be the indication of whether students had a positive student experience or a negative sense, um, if they felt a sense of belonging. Um, and for a lot of students, trying to get this was about balance, um, how they balance the different commitments in their lives. Um, so for some students, that was a balance between their extracurricular activities and their academics. Um, as I'm sure Rachel knows, when you do lots of research with students, um, sometimes they ask you funny questions <laughs> that aren't necessarily related to their research. So students would ask me um, when, when we were going through this bit of the interview, um, so is it better to be president of one society or a member of five? <laughs> These aren't the answers more questions. Um, but there was kind of this sense of how do students balance the different bits that they're getting involved in. And then for another group of students, it was certainly a balance between their academic studies and their home life, particularly if they had caring commitments, um, families, children, that sort of thing. Um, and so a lot of students struggled, but all students sort of struggled this no matter what. That what they struggled balancing differed across students. Um, but students kind of across the board had this struggle of how do they balance the different bits of their lives, whatever they were. Um, and for some students, this actually had quite a negative connotation. Um, what we see in the middle of this map is the word stress. Um, a student just trying to kind of balance all the different bits um, there. Um, we do see the importance of relationships and trying to mediate this, um, but a lot of things within this student's experience just kind of led to this general sense of stress. Um, and what I think is quite interesting is this line from sort of seven to two, the student numbered them, um, between sort of boring lectures, so kind of these like long, boring lectures, <laughs> actually being a stressful aspect. So it's not that kind of bad, what a lot of students termed bad teaching, or at least not interesting teaching. For students, it isn't sort of like a benign activity. It was quite stressful, stressful for some students to put the effort in to come to lecture, to be there, to try and invest some time, and then not really feel like they're in a place of learning when they're there. Um, and that actually can have quite a negative experience on students, not just, oh, I guess you didn't learn much in that hour, but it can actually um, be a catalyst in the student's experience, which I thought was quite interesting. Um, and I think this kind of highlights just how emotionally um, kind of intense the university experience is for so many students and really how much they kind of invest in it um, and how much it identifies within what they're doing.
And this is another map um, of an international student who moved with his family. Um, and I think what we see here is a strong sense of, for some students, they can't almost even conceptualize their degree. That's a tiny part of their experience. And what they're largely concerned about is um, issues such as immigration, housing, healthcare. They love the NHS. Most people do once they experience it. Um, you know, and schooling for their children, and those kind of issues being quite difficult. Um, this also emerged with a lot of students trying to find work, particularly when um, timetables weren't always clear for their course. Obviously, it's difficult to find work any point in time, but particularly when you go, I need Wednesday afternoons off, I need Thursday mornings free, and Fridays and some Saturdays, for example. And this certainly highlights that for so many students, this kind of balance um, really does dominate their experience and kind of almost is what's at the forefront of their mind. Um, and I think it's kind of a question of how are students being supported when all of this is going on. Um, and I think that's particularly where student unions came into play, because for a lot of these students, the union wasn't necessarily a, a place where they thought they would go to for help with these sorts of issues. They kind of had to deal with them independently. And interestingly, one of the things we found within students' comments about students' unions um, was that they certainly had a representational role um, but we certainly did pick up some points where they might not necessarily be very representational, particularly for some students. Um, this goes back to some people sort of seeing student unions in terms of functional ways. Quite a lot of students mentioned that if you wanted academic changes made, then you'd go to things like staff student liaison committees. Which interestingly, for some students, um, the way institutions are structured, those are part of the student union structures. But actually, at other institutions, those liaison committees are independent of student union structures. They're not always part of the course rep, the kind of formal SU course rep system. So for a lot of students participating in those didn't necessarily indicate a kind of student union um, sense of their experience. Um, but one thing that we certainly saw quite dramatically was for the students who were involved in students' unions, they were very positive about them. What we see in this kind of upper corner um, for this student is a huge amount of really positive outcomes from participating in the union. So for the students who actually played a role within the union, they tended to have great experiences, felt they were often representational, it's how they made friends, it's how they gained employability skills, it's how they often gained um, friends across the institution, learned about institutional structures, um, participated quite widely. So we saw on one side kind of this really positive aspect of students' unions for those students, part of them, um, but sometimes quite... Um, a complete lack of engagement with student unions if you weren't actually part of them, which I think kind of raises some issues about this representative role versus is it sort of something that if you participate in, you have it. So although I think Rachel's research pointed out that a lot of um, especially elected officers felt they were being representative, I think one thing we got from students was not that. And I think this map highlights that quite specifically, where this is a part-time student who wrote just no student union, meaning that for me, since I'm a part-time student, there is no union. Um, and quite a lot of mature students um, said things like, oh, the union's not for us. Like, and they actually thought the union was for the kind of 18 to 21-year-old students. Um, and it was largely a social activity. said, oh, no, no, that's not meant for us. Um, almost like we're not supposed to go there. So it kind of flipped on, is the student union for all students or is it for some students? Um, and a lot of people, a lot of students didn't really seem to quite understand um, the representative role of the student union across the whole student body. Um, and this was particularly challenging, as this map points out, for part-time students, but also for mature students, um, students who commuted in or lived at home, and also a number of students across sort of 
the diversity spectrum of kind of thinking the student sort of union sort of, quote, not for me, kind of came up. As far as I didn't actually think that it was the students' union's job to represent them as students. Um, one person who um, was a bit older who had um, fed back some feedback on this report actually said she thought the student union was like the name of a pub on campus, kind of like the, the glove and boot, you know, or like the spotted owl. She just thought it was like, oh, the student union, it was just the name of a place you went to get cheaper. She didn't actually know if there was like a union function to it. Um, and it, it, was, it was quite mixed across the piece. Um, I'll let you read through this, but I think what this quote highlights is um, it raises this question of representativeness um, and how students feel represented within it and also how inclusive students' unions are, um, particularly from a student's perspective who's outside of the union um, kind of looking in. Um, and one thing that also came out about this, which I think is really interesting in relation to some of the discussions we had earlier, where there were some students who kind of felt like they were explaining to me a conspiracy that they had uncovered. Um, that once they got involved in a student union, they, they said, did you know that there are people at the students' union who aren't the people we elected? They didn't even go to this institution, and they just work there. <laughs> um, and I think this, this highlights an interesting point, because actually I don't know how, how well known it is amongst the student body that there are permanent full-time members of staff within student unions. Um, I think it, it, it's sort of something... Um, again, some of Rachel's comments, I think, were, that wasn't really my research question um, that, that she had to point out, and that wasn't actually something I was specifically looking at, but that is something I wanted to follow up on, is what do kind of average students know about that as far as the structure of the union? Because quite a few students kind of pointed this out, that until they got kind of heavily involved in societies and often on the financial side of the society, then all of a sudden they uncovered these full-time staff, and they didn't actually know they were there. Um, I thought that was quite interesting. Which does bring me on to this sort of um, a next point about the representational voice. Um, and I am kind of wanting to argue this as the student voice as collected. Um, and someone asked a question earlier about the role of surveys, um, and that's what I really see here. This kind of, particularly with the role of the NSS and other internal surveys and anonymous feedback of how is the student voice, if a lot of students have quite an individual take, um, actually a lot of institutions kind of take this collective voice take. Um, where they don't necessarily engage with a lot of students, but by surveying them, think they are. Um, there are student sort of student education strategies that will, honest to God, say things like, we will engage in dialogue with the students through surveys. Um, last time, I never really had a dialogue with survey. <laughs> Maybe in a moment of madness. Um, but as far as students not feeling that that is actually a way to um, engage in voice, but a lot of institutions sort of thinking you can just collect student voice. Um, and then respond how you want to it, rather than needing to engage with individuals. Um, but this is another student who was part of the student union. Um, and I think it's sort of pulling on the points we had earlier about the sort of, do students become a bit co-opted? This is a student who you know, uses terms like student voice, engagement, um, fairness, standards, the importance of community. So I think for this student, there was this really strong sense of um, needing to have a voice that being important both in on the individual experience and in the running of the institution. Um, and I think what this student's highlighting is kind of need for like processes of how the student voice is collected. Um, so it's not that you can just collect it and then just say that's our job done. But there needs to be this sense of how do you develop it um, within an, do students know 
where their voice is being used within these structures, sort of who's responding to the voice. Um, I've certainly looked at lots of anonymous comments to surveys at my institution and have students write things like, dear whoever is reading this, um, I want you to know, and I actually think I might peripherally be reading this, but like, I don't actually know who the person is that's supposed to be responding in some capacity to the student writing, and obviously the student doesn't know either. Um, and I do think students often had quite a negative perspective on surveys. Um, they, weren't, they weren't very happy with it. And I think some students were happy if they kind of felt like it was part of a process that they understood, but when it kind of kept them feeling out of the loop as far as their voice was requested, but then they didn't really know what happened next, then they had quite a negative sense and often became quite cynical. Um, and I think I saw this in my data and I certainly see it reflected in um, the huge amount of effort that institutions have to go into, for example, to get students to fill out the NSS. It's not something most students are kind of dying to do. You know, a huge amount of marketing has to go into it. And same with um, internal surveys. Um, and those sorts of activities, although it's often being sold as being done on behalf of the student. Actually, students are often quite reluctant um, to fill up particularly anonymous surveys. What students seem to want, what I thought was interesting, sort of in the bottom, the second bullet point there, the student mentions um, she wants the institution should have quality surveys that are specifically about a course. And I think that comes back to my first point about this individual sense of engagement. Students are often quite positive about filling out personalized surveys, so when it was about their course or their degree, um, but quite negative about filling out institutional surveys or what they called, un, you know, kind of big generic surveys. Um, I know at my institution, we will get maybe a 15 to 20 percent response rate to an institution-wide survey, but our law students designed a survey to deal with some issues that they came up with, and they had a 99 percent response rate. Um, so it really highlights that when students kind of feel like a survey is addressing their concerns immediately, and they know what's going to happen to it, they'll often be much more positive about it. Which leads more to this um, final comment I want to make about collective engagement. And I think this starts to merge more into the sense of um, what some people like to use, the partnership term. I'm a little contested with the term partnership. But um, more of the sense of students operating in more of a collective way with the institution. Um, and I think for a lot of students, this is when it's driven more by their academic experience than necessarily a representative experience. So for example, one student said, we treat staff like people. I don't see myself as a student with them because I see myself as just another historian trying to learn more history. Um, so we're kind of like, for him, he's like, oh, we're in this collective like, learning of history together. Um, and that kind of breaking down the boundaries. And I think for a lot of students, that's actually more how they want to engage with their institutional experience, kind of through their course, through their learning, rather than necessarily in sort of these outside structures. So for a lot of students, that's more what they want, this kind of localized, individualized, I want to engage with my staff sort of experience, and sort of less concerned with some of the um, additional efforts. And how this kind of manifests for students, this was a third year student who was a law student who was going, um, who had just graduated. And this student sort of talked about how the student experience and a lot of these extracurricular activities sort of led into like her own kind of employability agenda moving forward and were kind of an opportunity to have more of that future focus um, and to learn things in that extracurricular setting to then go on and use them in the workplace. Um, and the importance of sort of a university experience when transitioning into the kind of post-university experience of kind of the lessons you learn of your own engagement with your education. Um, so I thought that was quite interesting. Um, and my final slide, just kind of saying, 
Um, what we certainly got out of this study in terms of um, working with students is the sense of engaging students in the processes of decision making, whether that is at the student union level or at the kind of institutional level, and particularly at the course level. Um, and what we found in this, um, with all the kind of stuff students wanted and this kind of consumerist ethos, um, there was a very strong push from students that what they didn't mean by this was any sort of sense of wanting to be spoon-fed. What they wanted was a challenging, rigorous academic experience. They wanted clear standards for the degree. They wanted it to be high quality, and they wanted it to mean something legitimate, and they wanted to learn. Um, but to be in that kind of challenging environment, they needed a lot of support to get there. Um, and they wanted to feel like they had a voice in how some of that support was offered and how they could engage with it. And I think one way to do that is to inform students about what's going on and how things operate. So I think a lot of students were just um, generally quite unclear as to um, not only how their fees were used within the institution, but also how any of their voice was then used within decision making. So I think that's where it gets really important to seek, ask, and report on feedback and include students more clearly in those processes um, and provide opportunities for students within this. Um, I think particularly within things like surveys, why not have students analyze some of the data? Aren't they kind of often the best place students? They're quite well rehearsed in research methods. Um, and often if an institution goes, oh, we can't afford to pay people to like spend time poring over all this data we collect. Well, you know, a lot of students would do it um, just to kind of gain the experience. Um, but also hold students responsible within this. Um, there were also, you know, some kind of flip sides of students, you know, kind of needing to be held responsible for their kind of side of the bargain in this as well. So um, if you Google my name and QAA, you can get a copy of the report. It's on the um, King's website. Um, this QR code will take you straight there. Um, so thank you very much, and I'll now take some questions. <laughs>